welcome to Overcome Out Loud with Charlie Smith. This is where I sit down and speak with real people that have overcome real obstacles in their lives to give other people hope. And, and really, this has become an amazing platform. Uh, and a lot of our, our listeners and subscribers are actually going through things themselves. And, and they're relying on some of the experience from our guests uh, that we've had on who've overcome addiction, childhood trauma, domestic violence, um, medical diagnoses. Um, you know, we had Cody Burns on who, who suffered massive burns and was, was really left in a, in a car crash, almost fighting for his life um, and, and has overcome that to thrive. And uh, today I'm, I'm really honored and privileged to have on my friend and my partner and, and, and my, I don't know what else to call him, my brother from another mother um, from a different country with a different accent. And lots of tattoos that I don't have, Mr. Mike Diamond. Hello, Smith. Hello, my friend. This is like the nineteenth time we talk today, but hello. It is, <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, I'm 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 really excited to have uh, Mike on for a second time today because one of the things that Mike and I have spent a lot of time doing in our own lives and in other people's lives is is working on, I guess, for lack of a better term, transform transformational coaching and transformational improvements in our lives and. You know, one of the things that we found in common with everybody that's uh, been on the one of the things that we found with everyone that's been on the show is the resilience that they've had to overcome these adversities. So I wanted to sit down because I consider Mike to be, you know, at least in my experience, one of the most forward thinking, motivational, inspiring guys that I get to deal with on a regular basis. And what we thought we'd do today is kind of break down kind of the first 30 days and and not just the first 30 days of, of sobriety, but the first 30 days of overcoming adversity, challenge and change. You know, when we hit that point in our lives where our lives are going in a direction that we didn't want them to go, whether it's because of a substance abuse issue or there's some external force that's occurred in our lives that has set us back. It could be a medical diagnosis. It could be a tragic event. It could be a breakup. It could be the loss of a job. Um, you know, we're seeing really uh, today, Mike, with the with the the pandemic that's been going on, uh, and with people more isolated than they've ever been. Uh, although I will tell you, I think the pandemic is exaggerated, but I think this country was in a little bit little bit of a loneliness state even before the pandemic. Um, but we're seeing a lot of people facing adversity, challenge, and change in their lives. Many of them didn't expect the things that are happening to happen. And I thought I would sit down with you today and kind of talk a little bit about the roadmap that we've seen by, from the guests that have been on the show, including yourselves and also yourself, you know, and what that, what those first 30 days look like. And what are some of the things that people that we've experienced overcoming adversity, including ourselves continually do, you know, I like to say success leaves clues. And I don't think it's really much different for uh, overcoming adversity that, you know, there's people that have done that, you know, they, they do certain things. And I think one of the things that they all have in common, I guess, to start with is the importance of asking for help. I mean, where would you rate that in terms of importance in the first 30 days? I think that's the one, number one. I think the first thing is just surrender that you need help. Um, and I think you just said something overcoming adversity. I think without when you hit that wall, whatever that wall is, everyone's different, you know, you realize you, there's that trigger of self-awareness and it's like a God shot. You, you realize that, all right, something's not right. Now you either deny it and go down the hole for us as drugs and alcohol, other people it's sex, other people it's gambling, or you just look at it right in the face and say, okay, I need to address this. So the first thing you got to do is surrender that there's an issue. Then you've got to get help. You've got to go to someone that has more experience and you've got to shut up. 
that's the only thing I did. I just went to people that had way more experience than me and I just listened. I didn't question it. If someone said go to three meetings a day, I went to three meetings a day. If someone said take a commitment, take a commitment. If someone said eat this food and they were healthy, I ate that food. So the most important thing is to say, okay, I can't do this alone and I need to reach out to someone that has more experience in whatever area it is and then shut up, get out the way and listen and just do the work. Yeah, and that's, I think, the the important aspect of asking for help. And we're going to kind of tie each of these elements into these really important fundamental principles. Because I think one of the things that I have really become more confident about over the last year of my life is that, you know, self, self-image management, you know, the beliefs that I have about myself, the lens with which I see myself through, and the principled living, the, the behaviors that I engage in, the principles that I set down, the values that I have, the rules for those values, as you and I will talk about, and then how I exercise those values are really ultimately the drivers that will lead me to the life that I want. And so the principle, I think, behind asking for help, which is really important, is humility. You know, it's that it's that setting aside of my ego that tells me I should know best, that tells me I should do better, that tells me I don't need any help, anybody's help, I'll, I'll figure this out. That humility that we find when we're asking for help is, you know, I can't do this on my my own and I'm willing to accept your guidance and your counsel. Would you help me? And, and how important um, has humility been for you in terms of the things that you've had to overcome? I mean, it's one of the most important things because then it gets you out of a fixed mindset. Because the problem is if you're in a fixed mindset, you believe you can't grow, you can't be helped, you can't be changed, right? So as soon as you go into a growth flexible mindset and you surrender and you have humility, you say, wow, I need to expand my map of reality here because the information I have isn't serving me. So, you know, humility is, is such a key because humility affects your attitude. We see it all the time. It doesn't matter how much potential you have, but if you're not willing to be humble and take constructive criticism, you never grow. You, never, you will never reach your full potential. And really, it doesn't matter. God gives you a gift you can't, everyone needs a coach. Even the, even the greatest, when they start coaching themselves, they get hammered. So we all need to have, be humble enough to go to someone, you know, when I work with Cliff, right? He's one of the best editors, but he works with other editors that are just as good as him to sharpen his sword. Stephen King, one of the greatest writers, has two editors. So we have to have the humility to go to someone and say, hey, you need to keep me on track. So it, it, humility is, so important for if we want to progress in life. Yeah, it's really, it's really freeing. There's two, one of the guests that we had on um, was a, a guy by the name of Travis Thomas. Travis got to start in improv and he, he has a uh, coaching philosophy of live yes and, which is that old improv philosophy of yes, you know, you acknowledge whatever somebody in acting is going to say, and then you build off of it. But he's actually now taking that. And I, I consider it like a three word embodiment of the serenity prayer. It's like accepting what's occurred in our lives without being a victim of it can be really empowering for us when we say to ourselves, yes, this has happened. And, you know, what I do next really is going to depend on my behaviors and my attitude. And so um, how important is, you know, I think as we talk about asking for help, we talk about the principle of, of humility. How important is the concept of acceptance? And, where, and, where, and what does acceptance mean to you in terms of having to overcome something? I mean, 
God, I always say, you know, except except the cards you're dealt, like everyone wants a, a full ace, but if you get twos, they're the cards you're being dealt. And I think it's you have to have a, a spiritual shift mentally to say, don't focus on why it's happening, focus on how you can grow. So your mindset has to be into possibilities always. Um, because If you can't live with any kind of acceptance, you're shot. I mean, I have to wake up every morning. I write what I need to accept in the moment every day, the action I need to take and the gratitude and gra- things to be grateful for. It could be I have a bad stomach today. I need to accept that you're fighting a lawsuit. You need to accept that, you know, you're struggling just to, to move. It, 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 you've got to simplify it. Acceptance and humility. I mean, they're, they're, they're key things to just, but this is the problem, Charlie. People think that like there's this white light experience like someone said to me the other day, when I drank and did drugs, was it hard to get up in the morning? I'm like, it's never hard to get up in the morning. They're like, why? And I'm like, I just get up. They're like, what do you mean? I said, do you think it's easy to get up at four in the morning? It's just like, it, it's hard, but you just get up. It was, it was it hard to get up drunk? Well, I don't know. I just got up and did what I had to do. Now, that may sound stupid, but it's just getting up. Some people can't even get that through their brain. It's just getting up. You know, they're expecting to feel like this incredible feeling. And, oh, when I get up, I should feel this way. Why? Just get up and do it. So except you may feel shit every morning when you get up. Accept that. Okay. But do you, do you have to get up? Well, I've got to get my ass moving and do things. So no one else is going to, I don't, no one owes me something. They're not going to carry me out of bed like Cleopatra and walk me down the street. You know what I'm saying? I do. Most of the the good feelings, though, come after that bit of, of, you can call it pain or you can call it feeling uncomfortable. You know, I've listened to Wim Hof speak and he's like, people think I like the cold. He goes, I don't like being, I don't love jumping in the freezing cold water, but I've conditioned myself to understand the benefits that it has in doing that. And so I've learned how to do it and stay comfortable doing it and doing for extended periods of time. And he's pushed himself, but he doesn't have this innate love of freezing his body as he jumps into cold water. Just like, as you say, getting up in the morning or, or putting a resume together when you've lost your job, you know, or understanding that you still have to go to the gym tomorrow, even though the relationship that you had with a significant other ended and you're in a state of you know, depression and sadness and, and grieving that relationship, but there's still healthy things that you can do. And I think one of the things, first of all, I want to talk about attitude because I had an opportunity, as you know, a few weeks ago to spend a few days with Jason Redman, who's a uh, retired Lieutenant in the, in the Navy is a Navy SEAL actually, who, who suffered eight life-threatening gunshot wounds in, in Iraq. And he's really known for, and became very well-known for a sign that he put on his door healing from these injuries. By the way, these injuries weren't just life-threatening. He had, he had eight gunshot wounds, one which went through the back of his head and out his nose, one that almost severed his arm. These weren't like minor gunshot injuries. These were major machine gun fire that he took in an ambush in Iraq. And what was interesting was that this was now the end of his Navy SEAL career. So we both know, you know, you knowing Brett Gleason very well, we know what these Navy SEALs aspire to, what they go through to become Navy SEALs. And so for his career to end as a result of being ambushed in Iraq was definitely not what he expected to happen, not what he wanted to happen, and was going to end this storied career that he had worked so hard to achieve going through BUDS and going through the training to become actually a Navy SEAL after BUDS. Um, And as he sat in his hospital room, he wrote a sign that said, if you've come here in sorrow or to take pity on my wounds, 
go elsewhere. You know, I got the, I got this doing a job I loved. I got these wounds fighting for a country whose freedom I so deeply admire and doing it with people I love. You know, this is a room of hope, optimism and rapid rebirth. And if you're not about that, you know, then go elsewhere because I'm going to make a full recovery. And he, and it's interesting because he actually specified what a full recovery meant, which was whatever my body can, can heal. And then I'm going to push it 20% based on my own mental toughness. And that was his attitude. So despite not just 36 surgeries, you know, not just 1500 grafts, not just, you know, having to have his face reconstructed, but losing this, this career that was really defining for him in his life, that he still had an attitude of, I'm going to make something of this. Yeah, I think that's just the best attitude. Like what really kickstarted me was when the doctor, when I was uh, in the hospital and the nurse literally told me, if you can't walk in the next two days, you could get pneumonia and, and die. Your lungs will fill up. And I called my wife, I had stomach surgery, and I said, you need to bring your brother <clears throat> to the, uh, the, the hospital tomorrow. She goes, why? And I said, I need to hold on to him and stand up and try to walk because they won't be able to hold me because I knew he could hold me. And I just grabbed him and I said, don't drop me. I said, I don't know how strong I am. And I couldn't walk six steps. And I was, you know, went from 194 pounds to emaciated and something went off in my brain. I was like, I got to figure this out. I got to figure this out every day. I got to figure this out because I'm going to end up really regretting this if I can't push through this pain. Um, and I didn't let only, only a few people come to visit me in the hospital because I didn't want to, them to see me like that. And I was pretty bad. You know, I, I was full stomach surgery. I didn't look good. But, but every day I would just envision myself walking and I'm like, I've got to figure this out. And then when I got out of the, out of the hospital with tubes in my stomach and the guys gave me no hope, he's like, you, your stomach's done. You'll be done if you don't take your colon out in six weeks. And I, I get this nudge from the universe. Like I sit with myself in silence and I go, can I figure this out? How, how deep can I go? And then I just feel a push. I don't know what it is. Something in me that maybe it's, I call it a God shot. Something just triggers. I'm like, I got to get this done. I'm doing this myself. I'm just doing it myself. And it's like when I start writing a new book, it's when I go run 30 half marathons, there's that push. And I think people are afraid of it because it's unknown. But it shifts, something shifts in us and we've got to follow it and it's life-changing. And if we can stay in that, like Brent says, embrace the suck, that's the only difference between a Navy SEAL and a normal person. It's not that they're talented. It's just they have a massive ability to delay gratification in the moment because they have a purpose and a why to get through it. Yeah, that they're mental, not talented. You know that, right? No, that mental toughness. They, they, they you know, because when you see a picture, I, I, I posted a picture a few weeks ago of, myself standing next to Jason Redmond. He's, he's not, you know, he's not taller than me. He's not buffer than me. He's, but he's mentally, you know, something I've never even dreamed of being. I mean, he pushed himself through so many things, you know, physically, obviously they're gifted. They're gifted in the, in the context of being able to sustain great amount of pain and endure great amount of stress over the course of a number of days so that they can prepare, prepare for whatever it is they might face. They're incredibly, um, skilled in, in so many areas, but the, the, the most important skill is, is their ability to, to train their mind to deal with adversity. Yeah. And, and it's, I think, um, there's a famous Navy SEAL. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He used to say that it's all about the moment. He used to say, all he used to do is know that he was going to be fed in a few hours. He goes, I'm just going to hold on to the next meal. 
they've got to feed me. Didn't worry about the sleep. I'm just going to hold on to the next meal. I'm just going to hold on to the next meal. And he said, that's how he got through buds. And he was in another class like Brett, Brent, when I think someone drowned in his uh, underwater class yeah. doing the pool. Yeah. And I mean, that's pretty scary if you're doing something and someone drowns, you know what I mean? When you're doing it, you're like, oh, they didn't catch him in time. Hmm. Yeah, you start to second guess yourself. So it's like you really have to have that massive commitment. But I think that's another thing that we talk about. I think people lack commitment in themselves. They just there's a, there's a will that you have to have. That look, Charlie, I could get off this call with you now, and something could happen, and I could be dead. You know, live. I've watched people I've spoken to 24 hours later who died. One died of COVID. I've had a bunch of people that have killed themselves recently. So you've just got to be present in the moment and just be like, I, this is a gift. I'm going to do everything with this gift every day and, and stretch it. And so you, you know? can you you can develop a, a, an attitude. I mean, this is interesting because I'll, I'll bring to, together three uh, different experiences from three different people uh, that have all overcome adversity in their lives. You, uh, Cody Burns, and and Jason Redmond, to name a, to name three that were you know, hospitalized with what, what, what many consider to be life-threatening injuries, you know, at a minimum. And Brett was, um, Jason was told he'll never lift more than 50 pounds with his, with his left arm again. Cody Burns was told you will never be, you won't be able to walk out of this hospital on your own two legs. You're going to need a walker for a long period of time. And, and you were told you may not walk again, let alone ever run again, but you definitely may not walk again. And you're definitely not going to be able to run again. And, you know, I think before he he suffered a bit of a of a uh, a blood disease. Um, Jason was on his way to the deadlifting five hundred pounds. I think he had at, at the time deadlift three hundred and fifty pounds. And 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 Cody Burns walked out of the hospital on his own two legs. And you went on to run thirty half marathons in thirty days. So, you know, it is our beliefs in ourselves. It is the visualization. It is the intention we have. Whether it's you know this is and I, and that's why I think you know optimism is such an empowering mindset because it doesn't deny the reality of what's occurred. It doesn't say, you know, look, I wish I didn't get shot up. I wish I didn't, you know, I wish I wasn't beaten by my father until the age of 19. You know, I wish I didn't go through a divorce. I wish I didn't lose my job. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be positive that those things are great, but I believe that based on my experience and the things that I know I'm capable of, that I'm going to be able to overcome this. And that's my built-in mindset is one of hope not hopelessness and optimism is simply the ability to look favorably on the future. And that if I do certain things that the outcomes will reflect the behaviors that I engage in. And, and all three of you, you know, show, showed me, you know, through your own stories, the power of my intention and then the things that I do every day to back up those intentions. And then each of you were able to achieve those results as a result of, of having that attitude. Well, yeah, you know what it is to me, Charlie, it's like, what if, like I set a goal so big and say, what is it? What if I can pull this off? Imagine the person it's going to take to pull it off. And I just sit in it and just give myself time to sit in it and see what happens. I want to see how far I can stretch myself. So I just don't, I'm not afraid of the process of stretching myself, whether it's taking on to write, you know, three books this year or two, what, what is if I can? So what would it take to do it? So why don't I just act as if I'm doing it? And then all of a sudden, I'm in the process, and I'm so far in. I'm like, oh, I'm not pulling out now. That's so right. Like when I, do you know what I'm saying? So I, I think do. People, people are afraid to like 
it's like when I first came up with the the supplement idea, I'm like, why can't I own a supplement company? You know what? I'm just going to make a supplement. And, and I think it's it's having that ability to set a massive goal and then just don't give yourself an out. No out. So you know what? I'm not going to give myself an out. I'm going to figure out how to close the gap from where I are to where I want to be. And if you can hang on long enough and it's been proven, whether it's Tom Brady, you know, whether it's Larry Bird, Larry couldn't jump, he couldn't run fast, but he had grit and he would throw more three throws and throw more three points sh shots in practice. So when you gave him the ball three seconds on the clock, he's like, I'll nail it. Well, so I think just, this is yeah. th this is a great segue into the, the, the next I think category of behaviors that go along with overcoming adversity, which is consistency. You know, I think a lot of people want to get out of the pain so quickly that they, they have this kind of, I just want this to be over fast. And, you know, the way out of anything is, is small, simple steps, you know, and it's consistent, small, small, simple steps. I, you know, we can talk about Tom Brady for a second. We can say Tom Brady wasn't a starter his freshman year at Michigan. He wasn't a starter his sophomore year at Michigan. Tom Brady acted like a starter at Michigan long before he became a starter at Michigan. So how he showed up for practice, how he backed up the quarterback who was the starting quarterback, how he ate, how he spent his weekends, how he prepared to be the best backup quarterback, you know, is what made him a, the, have the ability to be a great starting quarterback when that time, he didn't just turn on a switch and go, oh, now I'm the starter. You know, just like when he got drafted in the sixth round, you know, he wasn't a starting quarterback for the Patriots. He had to back up Drew Bledsoe for the first year. He had to back up Drew Bledsoe for the second year. You know, so it's it's that patience and persistence. It's it's kind of that, you know, that little secret sauce of small, simple steps done consistently, taking the next right action and basing that behavior on what I want to happen. Like you said, I'm going to make a supplement. That just means I've got to get a recipe together. It just means I've got to take the next right step. I don't know when the supplement will be done. I don't know how many of it will sell, but I know there's things that people that build a supplement company do, and I'm going to start doing them. Uh, and I think that's, I think one of the traps that people overcoming adversity could, can fall into, which is the mountain seems so high, you know, and, and uh, for me, one of the most important things I always counsel or advise. And, and it's one of the things I've done myself is just the importance of having a good, healthy routine that you can stick to. And it doesn't have to be these huge, massive, you know, 24 hour a day kind of Navy SEAL training goals. It could be, I'm going to get up at 630 every morning. I'm going to work out one once during the day, and I'm going to spend an hour getting resumes out. And, and for today, those are the things that I'm going to commit to do, but I'm going to do those every day for the next 30 days. I think you nailed it. I think the problem is this, is people are looking for a short-term feeling and the short-term feeling is a long-term problem. So it, it, there's enough information in the world right now to study anything. I mean, if, if a person can get off the couch and never run a marathon in 20 weeks, run a marathon, you're like, that's 26.2 miles. And marathon was created when in Greece, the guy ran from marathon to Athens to tell them that the, the Peruvians weren't invading them and he died. Okay, so if, if a normal person can get off the couch in 20 weeks, just following a process, can run a marathon, I mean, you could probably get up and do basics. But I think people just don't know how to just understand that. Don't worry about the feeling. 
I, I, I get up every morning and write down how I feel every morning and I look back and if I look at say over a month, I don't miss a workout, don't miss a meditation. I've been getting up at four in the morning for about five years, four years. And um, half the time I don't, I don't feel good when I first wake up. I don't like, it's not the unicorns and rose buds. I'm like, eh, I feel average. My stomach's a little off with my colitis. But I know once I do my breath work, once I meditate, it, it may take me an hour and a half of working out and meditating before I feel, oh, I feel centered now. But then I think about it that you know, I ran 150 days straight, 10 miles a day. And I looked at my logs, 80% of the runs, I felt like crap before I started. So I know that gives me a mental edge because I'm like, if I can do 1,500 miles, in 150 days, the guy that's waiting to feel good, I've already run 1,500 miles. If I can sit down when I don't want to write or I can sit down and do an intervention and call someone I don't want to do it, I just built a great career for myself because I'm just willing to stay in process. That's all it is. People just don't understand. It's all process. That's it. And when and mastery gets boring because you look at, say, like Floyd Mayweather, he doesn't need to throw another jab. But guess what? Every day he throws jabs. Every day he throws thousands of jabs and he would never have to throw a jab again. He's so elite. He's been boxing since he was eight, but he throws jabs every day. As soon as he go in the gym, he's throwing a jab. And that's, that's just process. Yeah. You look at Tony Gonzalez, who's a, uh, who's a you know, hall of fame tight end, you know, when, when people, many, many don't know. And if, and if you followed his story, he was, he was a very high draft pick in the, in the, uh, in the NFL and then went on the second year to lead the league and drop passes. And he was at this kind of emotional and career bottom, so to speak. And he went from catching 30 passes a day to 300 passes a day. He would watch highlights every week of Jerry Rice and Steve Largent. I mean, he really, you know, he went from this disempowering belief about himself that somehow now I'm less than to getting behind a whole bunch of behaviors consistently over a long period of time that, that turned his entire career around. And it's funny cause he'll say he'll work with other tight ends and you know, they want to train to be a hall of fame tight end like he was. And, and after a month or two, they're, they're, they're just not able to continue at the level that he continued at because he had that, that passion, but it took a long period of time for him to overcome the fact that he was leading the league in drop passes and to change that identity, you know, to, to start affirming himself and then getting behind and visualizing what it's like to be back to who he was before. And then seeing guys that were doing it and watching his highlight reels and then watching their highlight reels and then increasing his number of passes per practice from 30 to 300, you know, that's, those are really, you know, definable things that he did. And he didn't know that they would lead him to the hall of fame, right? He just knew that he didn't want to stay where he was at. He didn't like the way he felt where he was at. And he believed that there were a bunch of things that he could do in order to change the results he was getting in life. And you're right. The feelings fuck with all of us. I mean, you know, how many days do we do things that are hard and feel like doing them, but it's the, the result, the reward we get from, and the payoff we get from the consistency is, is really important. And so in that first 30 days, I think what we're, what we're saying is build a small routine, a small, healthy routine, find two or three values. And we'll, we'll move into a little bit of a discussion around values, because I think principled living is, is really fundamental to overcoming any kind of challenge in our lives. So, you know, a principle might be discipline, you know? And so if you, if you, build that muscle of discipline, then you say to yourself, I'm going to do something every day, whether I feel like it or not. And the more you do that, 
the more you build that discipline muscle. So the next thing that you have to take on, even though you may not feel like it, you've built that discipline muscle, because if your discipline muscle isn't the strongest muscle, then when the feeling crops up, your strongest muscle is going to be your weakest value, which may be pleasure seeking. I would do this for the first 30 days. The first thing I would do is choose a time to wake up every day, same time every day. Yeah, I like that. Second thing, I would tie my meals, eat every three hours, five meals every three hours, every three hours, right? Some protein, some fat, some carbs. It disciplines you to eat the same time every day. Third thing I do, make your bed. Sounds stupid, make your bed. Have a clean room, have a clean bed. Then I would read 10 to 15 minutes a day, something positive, something uplifting. I would make sure I went to bed the same time every day because that's going to get your morning routine going. You know what I mean? You go to bed, you wake up the same time and that's it. And, and that's then it. make sure, you know what I mean? And make sure that you have one positive person that you can check into and check in with that can keep you accountable every day. You call that person. And if they tell you to, at the same time, you write it down and you call them at the same time. Then one last thing I would do hot and cold shower. I'll tell you why. Only 20 seconds in the cold shower before you run the cold, ask yourself why you don't want the cold water because what you resist in the cold, you resist in life. Well, that's great advice. And those are all, you know, I, I think, you know, I actually got, I got this a bit from, from, uh, from Dave Meltzer, uh, who we both know, you know, he, he has that, that mentality he says sometimes set the bar low and, and, you know, it's never really hit me before. Cause it's always like, you want to set the bar really high, but it's like when you're building out of a, out of a low spot, if you can set the bar low and start reaching over the bar consistently, you can build some self-confidence in your ability to continue to reach over the bar and then you can set the bar higher. So I like that little formula of, of small, simple things. Um, I would add hydrate. I drink half your body weight in water every day. It's another really simple way to fuel your mind in your body and to, to hydrate yourself with a healthy, you know, amount of, of, of water every day. And then the other simple thing is, is not so much what you can do. It's also what you can eliminate. And the elimination of negativity in the first 30 days would be the other strong recommendation I would make. What do I mean by the elimination of negativity? If you watch three minutes of news, you're 27% more likely to have a lousy day. You know, if you verbalize negativity, it's four to seven times more powerful than verbalizing positivity or neutral statements. So I'd watch the verbalization of negativity and I'd really monitor my self-talk and I'd try to eliminate, you know, the things that I consume that are negative um, and really monitor my self-talk because I think when we expand negativity and we listen to our inner critic, it's disempowering, it's de-energizing. And that's not what we need when we're trying to overcome adversity. And so shame and guilt live in the past, fear and anxiety in the future. But in the present moment, we want to affirm things about ourselves that are neutral, like I'm resilient. I bounce back quickly. I take setbacks as temporary. You know, I don't quit because I haven't tried all available options yet. You know, if we can just keep those neutral statements, we don't have to say, this is great. I got laid off. This is great. She left me. This is great that I'm sick. This is great. We don't have to deny, we don't have to deny the reality, but we also don't want to verbalize negativity. So if you can eliminate the consumption of and the verbalization of negativity, you really can move yourself from where you are to where you want to be in a much more beneficial way. Do you agree with that? 100%. 100%.
self-talk is so important and i would add in don't take don't take yourself so serious and don't take things personally yeah that's a hard one you know i, I mean and I've, obviously i've read the four agreements and i really understand the concept and and you know i have a few little things that i've learned which is you know when someone says something i usually just tell myself well that's information you know uh, or i ask myself who's hearing it that way because you know i, I don't typically want to judge myself so i always kind of ask myself i wonder who inside of me is trying to listen to it that way um but taking things personally is a is a bit of a talent it's a bit of a skill that we learn over time because because for many of us who have damaged personal truth or low self-esteem we take everything at least i used to take a lot of things personally and people were saying it about me or saying it to me so i would often ask myself well how the fuck isn't that personal it sounds like it's about me how do you how do you counsel people or 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 coach people through that not taking things personally in the most productive way mike i think the most important thing is skills I'm very confident with my skills and I go to people and I refine my skills. So if someone hears me on a podcast and says, that guy sucks, I, I've got a pretty good barometer if I suck or not. And the information I'm reading and putting out there is good. And if I think that the information I'm putting out and I can own it, I'm like, well, that person's pretty off because I don't suck at that. And then I don't take it personal. Do you know what I mean? So I always come back to me and go, hmm. Was that, are they, are they right there? I, I, I can accept constructive criticism, but I always come back to my skill set and I go to people that are way better than me and I make sure I'm coached and I'm at a level that I know the elite work at. So if someone brings me some information, I can honestly process it and then I can reframe it and look at that person and go, hmm, wonder why they're from their point of view seeing that. What have I triggered in them? And then it removes me from the situation. You know what I'm saying? Because then I don't get caught up. Now, if my skills are off and I'm not really walking the talk and someone calls me out, I get offended. But it's really because my skills are off. So I'm pretty but, comfortable now in my own skin. Sorry, go. No, that, that, that was where I was going. I mean, that's no, you know, no, yeah. people will say what other people think about you is none of your business. And I believe that's true unless you think it about you. If you were to say, you know, Charlie, you look really stupid interviewing me with that orange curly hair. I'd look at myself in this and I go, I don't have a, what's wrong with me? Something must be wrong with Mike, right? I wouldn't actually take that personally because I know that it's not true, but it's the same thing. If you were, if you were to say, you know, you're not really that good at a pub, a, you're not really that good at, at, at hosting a podcast then. And I would have to say, well, do I think that about me? Cause if I think I prepare well and I get ready for my guests well, and I'm show up on time and the cameras are good and I ask the right questions that are, in, that are, you know, insightful, then I think I'd do a pretty good job so if you were to say that it's, a, it's interesting that you thought that and there may be people that that podcast different than me but i'm pretty comfortable with who i am it wouldn't affect me but if i really didn't prepare and if i really wasn't ready for the interviews and if i had a camera that was out of focus and if i didn't have good insightful questions to ask and i tried to dominate the conversation and i thought boy i'm not really not that good of a podcaster and i felt that about me what you said i would take personally so i think not taking things personally actually isn't about the other person it's about being congruent and understanding who we are because the more we develop our own self-efficacy our own self self-esteem our own self-worth the less impacted we are, but other, what other people think. And if we take compliments too highly, and if we look for then we're going to look for the criticisms too highly. That's why it's important that what we believe about ourselves, our internal influence is 10 times more powerful than the external influence of other people. However, most of us don't take time to really do an inventory 
of our assets. We don't take time to celebrate the things that we are. We're always looking at who we're not. You know, that, that, that Brene Brown comment that comparison is the, th the real thief of joy, right? I mean, we're always comparing ourselves to others or we're worried about others' opinions or we'll listen to our inner critic. God forbid we write down a list of our true assets. You know, I'm a good friend. I'm reliable. I'm dependable. You know, I follow through on the things that I say I'm going to do. There's lots of things about myself I like about myself. And the more I can build that muscle up, the less likely I am to take things personally. That's That's been my experience. Well, like, let's go back to when you said Brene Brown. I remember when I watched the her TED talk and apparently they were calling her a fat beast and all these shameful things. And, and you know, say I look at myself in the mirror, like I'm a dude. Like some people don't like that I have a man bun at all. They're like, look at that gay guy with a man bun. Like, like some people are offended because I have a man bun. It doesn't bother me. I've been to parties with like redneck guys that go, dude, you've got a man bun. I'm like, yeah, well, what's the problem with man bun? Real men don't have man buns. I'm like, okay, if you think that, that's your opinion. And then by the end of the night, they like me. Like when I sold the um, supplement to the the Mongol, the biker. Oh, right. Yeah, he's yeah, become yeah. like my best, he's become my best friend now. No, on a first appearance, he must seen man bun tattoos, but he we hit it off. So I'm pretty confident in the way I look now and how I carry myself and I can take care of myself physically and mentally. So if someone comes to me with some information, I'm like, wow, they're really offended by the way I look. Interesting. Maybe they've got some issues with the way they look. You know what I mean? What's it triggering in them? And, and I always look, it's, if you want to be professional in anything you do, you have to, you can't be optimistically delusional. And what I mean by that is that if I told you tomorrow, I wanted to um, be in the MBA, you, you got to sit me down and say, Mike, you're five, nine, you've never played basketball. What's the driver? What's going on in your brain? You're not really thinking this out clearly. Do you know what I'm saying? If I told people, you know, I wanted to do stand-up comedy and I'd done acting and I was really good on stage from a young kid and I said, I'm going to go to the comedy store and test myself, people didn't say no. They're like, yeah, but he's done acting since he was 12. He can probably do it. Do you know what I mean? I had some experience on stage. I was singing in bands. I'd performed live. So I stepped into an area where I knew I had, had a chance. I had some strengths. But I never step into areas that, that, like when I started writing, you know, when I went to an editor, I was expecting to get my ass kicked because I'm not an academic. Then I, then I got taught a level of writing and I go, wow, I've got to do a lot of reading and study. I've got to write five or six hours a day sometimes to be able to be an author. So it's very realistic what it takes. Now that's just getting into the pocket. Now I know what it likes to, it's like to be a professional author. I've got to write 30 hours a week. It's no joke. But if I want to really be that good. So now when someone reads my work, I have no problem sending it to them because I've been coached by someone that has taught me what it takes to be professional. So if someone reads my work, and I don't care if I like my book because I know the book's good because I've gone to people that have schooled me and showed me what, what the standard is. So I think it's very important. It's like I, I, if I came to you with all the work you've done, raising money and building shopping centers, you know, I would have to listen to your coaching. It's not something I do. Now, if I, if I didn't listen to that, you're going to go, well, this guy's going to fail because there's a standard. 
because I've earned my experience raising money, talking to banks, talking to tenants. Do you know? So it's, and you're confident. Someone said, Charlie Smith's out of his mind. He doesn't know what he's doing when it comes to the shopping centers. You're like, really? I'm out of my mind? Okay. I've built a million square foot knucklehead. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, it, I think you just have to know there's going to be people that you're going to kind of fire up and trigger because you're confident and you're doing your thing in your own lane. And also know when to step back and assess yourself. Assess yourself daily and make sure that you're in tune with what you're doing. I th- and, and, and thank you for that because I think that's really at the crux of self-image management is really having a realistic view of ourselves that's judgment-free. There's lots of things I'm good at. There's lots of things I haven't done yet that I could be good at. Like I think I'd be a great piano player. I just haven't taken piano lessons yet. doesn't mean that I couldn't play the piano, but I'm also not going to sit here and tell you I'm going to be a linebacker in the NFL in three years. I'm, I'm 55 years old and I'm 5'10". I got a bad knee and a bad hip and, you know, I'm, I run a few miles every day and or four, or four days a week. But, you know, but that's also not something that I want to kid myself into thinking I'm going to do. However, if I decide I want to over sober livings or if I decide I want to help you start a supplement company or if I decide I want to start doing public speaking or transformational coaching or training, I haven't done many of those things, by the way, but I believe that there's a set of behaviors that go along with doing those things and doing them well. And if I get behind those behaviors and just start speaking and start writing talks and then promoting those talks and, and seeing where that goes, that, that someday, you know, that I'm going to be able to achieve that. I believe that I will be able to achieve it. So it all really starts with self-image. Yeah. But there's also one thing that you're not giving yourself credit for. You come across as an articulate person and you hold your ground well. Like there's a certain, you're not an introvert. You're strong. I mean, I've seen you talk in front of people. I've seen you do a podcast. You podcast great. You ask good questions. So do you see what I'm saying? So it's not like, like you sit down with an introvert and, and the introvert is like, you know, a really good bookworm and he starts a podcast and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, what was it like? I was like, dude, you, you, this is not your thing. I mean, do you really want a podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. And you watch the videos and they're awkward. You're like, you know, this is not your thing. You're not comfortable talking in front of people. And it's like, like people say anyone can sell. I don't agree with that because I've seen people sell and I'm like, that person should be behind the desk somewhere not selling. I will, we're, we're salesmen. I was born a salesman. Five years old, I was selling stuff. I've always been selling myself. You know what I'm saying? And then it's sharpening, you know, that sword. So you have that ability to speak, present, you know, you run your podcast fantastic. The interviews are strong. You speak well. You're empowering. Now you just have to, you know, like anything, we just have to train. But if I stop, I've done hundreds of speaking gigs. If I don't keep working it, doesn't matter how many I did before, I still lose practice. We've got to be practicing. So you're already, you're in the right lane. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, I think the, the, the last thing we'll talk about is, is the importance of consistency. You know, that we, we, we really do train muscles and stay and those muscles, whether they're emotional muscle muscles, physical muscles, spiritual muscles, mental muscles, you know, they all require a workout. And I don't think enough people understand the importance of working out their mind, working out their spiritual out their spirituality, as much as they understand. I mean, the physicality of working out or exercising or running, it's like, if I run a little bit every day, I can run a little more every day. If I lift a little bit every day, I can lift a little more every day. But the spiritual progress, the emotional progress, the mental progress is 
much more ambiguous. It doesn't, you don't see the dramatic effect. You don't see the bicep get bigger, the legs get stronger, or the miles get quicker. And so you've really got to have this faith that, that there's this mental practice that I can do. And if I continue to see myself a certain way, that I'll continue to build that mental muscle, that emotional muscle, that spiritual muscle. And that's really one of the things that I encourage all of us to do is to, is to really be consistent and to learn how to do these things over an extended period of time. Because, you know, it's so funny because I just had this, this lunch with my son on, uh, on Sunday. He was telling me a story about a, his roommate who works at a restaurant and, you know, he hadn't been there that long, but he was really talented and they made him a team leader over this other lady who I guess had been there a little longer and, and thought she was deserving of the, the, the job and she didn't get it when he did. She got really upset. She got defensive. She got critical. She got judgmental. And, and soon enough, she quit. Uh, and, and the guy that runs the place had said to my son's roommate, he said, boy, I, I can't believe she quit. She, we really need two team leaders and we we're about to offer the position tomorrow. But instead of staying consistent and continuing to be the employee that she was, she, she turned and she stopped practicing service and she stopped practicing humility and she stopped practicing, you know, being accepting and she got into fear, anxiety, worry and, and quit her job. And, you know, she could have got exactly what she thought she deserved, but, but she pulled the parachute. Well, I think that's the perfect example of having a purpose and not worrying about the position. If you're worried about the position and you don't have a purpose, a reason to serve, you're always going to be chasing something external where it has to come from internal. So like when I, when I was trying to figure out, you know, the supplements, I was like, well, I can't take painkillers. I can't take Adderall. My stomach's a wreck, but I want to feel good after stomach surgery. So I've got to come up with natural alternatives that anyone can take. Like we say, elevate your mood, right? No jitter, no crash, because why would you want to be jittery and crashed out? And then do things in my life. Because look, you've got, you got spiritual health, you've got physical health, you've got mental health, you've got emotional health, and you've got intellectual health. In all those areas, you need to be, do something daily, daily to keep the strings of the guitar all in tune. Because if one string is out, you can't play the instrument correctly. So that talks about prayer and meditation for your spiritual, right? Emotional, you need to do something with your emotions. You need to do inventory, check in with people. Intellectual, you need to read. You always need to be sharpening your brain, reading good things. Physical health, go out for a walk, right? And mental health is so important that it has to do with some kind of, you need some kind of coaching, um, you know, anyone you need, everyone needs someone to talk to therapeutically. And that helps with your mental health because then you don't sit in your own bubble and go crazy. And that's another thing, you know, just recently someone killed themselves and they said they, they were going to reach out to you. And I'm like, well, I wish they did. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone and, and call people like you and I. Call someone. Do not suffer in silence. You, you cannot, if you're suffering, you need to call people. You need to reach out. You need to pick up the phone and just say, hey, I need help. And, and people will help you. Well, and that's a, a great ending because, you know, really the, 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 the 
inspiration for this podcast and my movement is that I suffered in silence and many people suffer in silence and that if I overcome out loud and you overcome out loud and I encourage other people to overcome out loud all the challenges that they faced in their lives to give other people hope that no matter how far down the scale you feel you may be today that there's a way out and that other people have overcome challenges and I do want to encourage people to know is um, Trevor Moad who works with Russell Wilson has, has said and I think you know I love when he says it he says you don't have to get any sicker to get better. In fact, you don't even have to be sick to get better. You know, you can, you can take stock of the life you have now and, and decide that there's something else that you want to achieve in your life. And, and, and there's certain things you can do to get better. And, and I just, you know, it's been so great to sit down. I mean, we've wanted to do this first 30 days for, for a while. And the more people have listened, the more questions they have, the more they're listening for, for hope and inspiration. I just thought it'd be great to sit down with you and lay out some first 30 day milestones for people. Keep it simple, ask for help humility, consistency, discipline, um, watch that negative self-talk, um, get some healthy habits and build on them. And really there's nothing we can't overcome together. Ooh.